You're listening to Robert Wright's Non-Zero Podcast. Hi, Fred. Hey, Bob. How are you doing? I'm good. It's been a while. Has been a while. Yeah. Uh, let me let me uh, introduce us, uh, and uh, then we can talk about how long it's been. Uh, I'm Robert Wright, publisher of the Non-Zero Newsletter. This is a Non-Zero Podcast. You are Fred Kaplan. Long time, uh, I guess, could you say national security correspondent for Slate? Columnist, columnist maybe. Columnist. Your column. column is called War Stories. Is that right? That's right. All true. Um, for Slate. For Slate. I, yeah, I think I mentioned that. I, I, I go way back with Slate myself. In fact, I mean, mm-hmm. not to pull rank, but I was actually writing a column for Slate even before you were. And that's saying I think, something. I think that's true. I tr- Trust me. Uh, the, uh, so, but how long have you been writing this, this, uh, doing this? Uh, 20 years. Jeez. So you know a lot. You're like a fount of wisdom. Well, and then I was a reporter before then. I was, I was the Boston Globe's, uh, defense reporter from 1983 to 91. And then it's Moscow bureau chief from 92 to 95. Mm. New York bureau chief, 95. 2002 then i left to join slate well your uh your moscow expertise is going to come in handy here because one thing we're going to talk about is ukraine before we do that are any books you like to plug of mine you mean or well or mine we can do mine (laughs) uh well my last book was it's been it's been three years since it came out but it was called the bomb Uh presidents generals and the secret history of nuclear war Uh still in print but uh and was so your first relevant, I think. was was your your first book low these many years ago also about about arms control or yeah. about or about nuclear strategy and yeah it's called the Wizards of Armageddon that was right. 1983 uh, yeah the bomb is kind of a sequel to that well yeah. it's about time we've been waiting for the that's sequel. right for 40 years or whatever yeah uh, it was good to build up suspense yeah yeah, yeah. um so. We're uh, here's let me tell you how this conversation began to take shape in my head. So first I saw uh, this piece you wrote where you kind of lit into John Mearsheimer. And mm-hmm. that was interesting to me because a lot of people are lighting into John Mearsheimer. He's, of course, his famous uh, professor. He's maybe lighting into himself more than anything. Well, this is what you said uh, in the piece. But it's it's i mean you 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 referenced his uh his second interview with isaac chotner mm-hmm. uh who's kind of the mike wallace of print or something if if you remember mike wallace would do these kind of ambush interviews for yeah. cbs in olden times um and uh and you thought that mearsheimer did not acquit himself well but let me actually just to give people a sense for the spirit of uh uh, of the piece and, and your your possibly your feelings about Mearsheimer. The first line of your piece is it may be a sign of decline in John Mearsheimer's mental acuity that nine months after coming off quite badly in one Q&A by the New York New Yorker's Isaac Chotner, he agreed to strap himself in for another round of grilling and emerged more battered still. Uh, professors of political science don't generally cause a stir, but intellectual self-immolation is a rare spectacle in Chotner's one to torching a Mearsheimer is a barn burn. So, you know, I'm not sure I've ever seen you be quite this mean to someone. There's something, there's something going on here. And no, the, well, I, I've, I've never met John Mearsheimer. I've never had any. I, I would recommend against it at this point. 
I've never had any, I've never written anything up. You could Google Fred Kaplan and Mearsheimer, and I believe you won't find any articles that I've written about him except for that one. Yeah. Uh, so it's not an I, I actually, although I disagree with part of it, I, I, I'm an admirer of his 2001 book, The Tragedy of Great Power Politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just fear that he's become kind of a parody of, of his old self. And, and he, he took a position on, on, uh, on the war in Ukraine, which at the beginning had a tiny bit of validity. And he's kind of stuck with it, even though all of the premises of his analyses have gone up in smoke. And uh, he is an influential figure. He's now more controversial than an intellect influential one, I think. But nonetheless, and I, I and one thing that I did, you know, uh, in my piece that some other critics of his did not was to analyze not not just to to show the the more eye popping passages of his interview with Chotner, but also to analyze his whole concept of international politics, which underlies okay. his. Okay. So, and, and I want to, I definitely want to get back to Mearsheimer. Uh, let me tell you how this, I, I was thinking of the larger framing of the conversation. So first of all, your, your, whatever you want to call your attitude toward Mearsheimer, animosity or something else, it's widely shared. And not just, I mean, you would expect it from kind of neocons, all extremely hawkish liberals. I don't put you in either of those two camps. No. And there's a lot of people who are very down on Mearsheimer who I don't put in those camps. And and I realized that uh, by ex- by kind of trying to figure out what, what, what exactly the source of the blowback is, uh, we might shed some light on other questions. One of them is this kind of uh, tension that the Ukraine war is said to have exposed within the so-called restrainer community, you know, people who are, you might say, kind of anti-blob, you know, that that is to say they take issue with the with the, the, the mainstream of the U.S. foreign policy establishment and they argue for military restraint. Uh, yeah. Sometimes called the Quincy Coalition because the the, the the most important institutional embodiment of the restrainers is the Quincy Institute uh, for Responsible Statecraft in Washington, which draws on people from the left and people on the right who agree on a certain amount. And then the Ukraine war revealed that there are s- some tensions within that community. I mean, I don't think they they, they go right down the middle of it. Th- there are basically a few people uh, in that community who decided to disassociate themselves from it as as a result of the Ukraine war, arguing that uh, people, the restrainers or people at Quincy or whatever, were not supportive enough of Ukraine, although I'm not aware of anybody at Quincy who opposes supporting Ukraine to some extent in the war. Um, But uh, but but anyway, this is an interesting thing. And this, in turn, is related to my ongoing uh, quest to convince all progressives that they should agree with me on foreign policy so far that has met with no success whatsoever yeah. well, um, hey, that's what the game is about right what's that well why have a column or why have a, a blog or, or anything unless your goal is to try to persuade people absolutely right? we agree on but, you that. know it's interesting what what you're talking about it's very interesting most people who write about or talk about foreign policy or, or any political or cultural or whatever issue 
come to the stage with certain perceptions, certain notions. In in international relations, these have kind of divided into schools of thought, realism, restraint, or and what happens, especially I think in the post-Cold War era, where there are no longer distinct power blocks or distinct ideological conflicts, mm-hmm. is that shit happens. And if you're honest about it, 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 it at least makes you rethink some of your assumptions. I mean, for example, we all know a number of people who are very big on liberal interventionism or humanitarian mm-hmm. interventionism mm-hmm. who kind of got poked out of that position after the invasion of Iraq. They said, well, Jesus, this doesn't really work sometimes. And maybe we don't know how to do this very well. And therefore, maybe we ought to think about something else. And I think there are a lot of people who were sort of staunch realists who, when Ukraine happened, you know, Russia invading a country that was not a member of NATO, was not in any scenario that we had of what we would go to bat for, much less go to war for. Uh, and it says, well, Jesus, I'm, I'm going to change my mind a little bit about this. Uh, I mean, I, I think, I think now, wait, did you, did you, can you run that by me? I may have missed it. Did you say Russia was, wait, what is it? We wouldn't have gone to war for Ukraine, Ukraine. If you look at at the uh, scenarios that were in place of things that the United States would go to war for, or just ship $20 billion worth of arms, uh, to help. I think, uh, defending Ukraine would not have been a part of that. In fact, you know, during Mm -hmm. Great NATO enlargement. Okay, yeah. Of, of I, no, I get your point. Now you don't. You don't need to elaborate. For you can go ahead with with where you were heading. Okay, so, so I, I'm just saying, saying that that, saying that you 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 a number of people change their view of what of what is in America's national security interest or how threatening Russia is or what. What was the change? Well, I mean, a lot of these views that we come to in international relations are kind of theoretical, kind of abstract. You know, we haven't especially people of our generation, we haven't been in big wars except for those that have gone badly. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when something happens in the real world that, that kind of doesn't, it, it doesn't meet the expectations of what, of what we've been entertaining all these years. And it kind of makes, it, it should make one at least rethink, reassess, not necessarily change your mind, but mm-hmm. reassess one's basic principles about things. For example, I can imagine, I mean, there were, you know, people like David Reef, who was very big on humanitarian intervention. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Iraq happened, I mean, he went completely the other way. Mm-hmm. I can imagine, I can't think of any examples right now, but imagine a hardcore realist who, you know, would be, well, you know, we just go to bat for things in our national security interest. Every big power needs to have is is right in having a sphere of influence. Uh, kind of back off that position a bit uh, in in contemplating mm-hmm. Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Okay, so I want to get around uh, eventually, maybe to explaining why it, this hasn't changed my view of anything. Okay, uh, 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 and, and and I am a restrainer, and in a certain sense, this is. Of course, you know, you always have to, to worry about uh, the various cognitive biases that distort for your view of the world. But I, I think this is, in a certain sense, corroborated uh, my longstanding critique of American 
foreign policy. Um, but uh, we can get into that. By the way, I also want to touch on this issue of, uh, you know, the Kissinger Ukraine peace plan mm-hmm. you wrote about uh, before this is over, if possible, because I had a piece in The Washington Post arguing yeah. that it's it's uh, maybe time to think about some sort of peace talks. Happy to um, talk about that. Yeah. But but back. To, so back to Mearsheim. Here's the thing. Like, here's why I'm a little puzzled. <clears throat> it seems to me Mearsheimer. Here's one way to describe his uh, history. And we should say. You know, we don't have time to get into a definition of realism. And of course, there's there's the uh, there's academic realism that is merely descriptive, but it tends to be related to a prescriptive form of realism. And there are all these variants of that. And Mearsheimer is kind of an extreme version of a realist in various senses. But we don't need to get into all of that. I I certainly don't agree with him uh, on on everything. There are a number of things I disagree with him on. But but. But here's what I think would be kind of the defensive. He's like, years ago, he said, look, you need to focus on this Ukraine issue because, uh, uh, the, the, you know, we've said Ukraine's going to be a member of NATO and we seem to be moving toward that. And this is very threatening to Russia. And if you don't give if you don't change course and give uh, Russia some assurance of Ukrainian neutrality. Russia is going to invade Ukraine and, quote, wreck it. Okay, that was the word he used. They're going to wreck Ukraine. Okay, so we didn't change course. Russia did invade. Ukraine is increasingly wrecked. So he would seem to have been right. Right. And 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 honestly, how many people did predict this? How many of the people who are now ridiculing John Mearsheimer did predict it? And if they didn't predict it and he did, where do they get off? On acting on, on not just not just saying they differ with him, but acting mm-hmm. as if he's some he's some kind of traitor. I mean, I mean, sometimes there's a little kind of McCarthyite vibe like here, well, like me, like me, he's a he's a Putin apologist. Let me draw a couple of distinctions, and I think there are a few reasonable distinctions to draw here. Mm-hmm. Number one, it is definitely the case. And, you know, Mary Sirota's book, Not One Inch, I think, draws the same distinction, which is a very good book, by the way. Uh, there is a distinction. It, it is the, the fact that NATO expansion during the starting, especially with Clinton era, but after the dis- dissolution of the Soviet Union, NATO expansion or NATO enlargement, as it was called, did produce a certain amount of tension and paranoia, and even justifiably so. Can I just? Well, first, okay, but 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 to be wait, clear, hold on. let me let me let me draw my distinctions first. Okay, among, among both so, Yeltsin and and Putin, uh, it is also the case that the strongest advocates of NATO enlargement during the Clinton administration, like Strobe Talbot and uh, Richard Holbrook, drew the line at Ukraine. They thought it would be excessively provocative mm-hmm. to to include. Ukraine in this enlargement. Uh, So third, I think it's definitely the case that when George W. Bush said at a NATO conference in 2008 that Ukraine will become a member of NATO. Now, he didn't put any time in. Ukraine and Georgia. Right. Uh, This definitely provoked uh, Putin. I think it's what led to the invasion, such as it was, of Georgia uh, months later. And I think it set the, the context for 
for what happened in 2014. That said, that said, it's it's a very, very deep stretch to say that this therefore justifies Putin's invasion. Has Mearsheimer said that? Well, second, you said that the, the, the curious thing about Mearsheimer, the thing that you quoted that he'd said years ago is that Russia will be provoked to break Ukraine. Now, Mearsheimer is saying, oh, no, 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 Putin doesn't want to take over all of Ukraine. He just wants to occupy these four, first he said two, now it's four provinces of Ukraine. And yeah, to have, you know, regime change in Kiev to put in somebody who will tolerate this. So, A, that's not what Putin is saying at all. Uh, So, I mean, Mearsheimer is engaging in his own bit of of, of blindness to, to what... Okay, but, but to I'm, sorry, I, I'm sorry, Fred, but can we focus on this one thing? You seem to say John Mearsheimer has said the invasion was justified, and I, I, let me just say, there, there isn't, there's an He's issue. redefined what Putin is doing so that he can say that this is within the normal power, uh, behavior of a great power. Well, he was saying it was predictable, yeah. And, no, no, but and even now he's saying that what they're doing is is fine, and they're. And he, well, he didn't. I don't think, Fred. I think you have to be careful. I think doing. you have to be careful. Has he said it's fine? Uh, he's come pretty close. To, he thinks that what we need to do is to. He has said that we need to make an alliance with Putin against China, which is the threat. Why is it the threat? Because China is a peer power, and peer powers go to war with each other, and therefore we need to have an alliance with another great power to keep China from beating us. Okay. So I I think, yeah, he's been saying it for a long time. I mean, he's been saying that for a long time. It's still his view. It's it's becoming increasingly implausible that we could actually do it. And I don't know if he's still saying, yeah, this is a real possibility. Yeah, that's that's long been his view. I don't don't agree with him. In fact, China is one of the things I most disagree with him about. But, but, uh, but, But I'm trying to get at why he has pushed this button. And, and I think, I really want to drill down on your kind of saying, he said it was fine and justified. And then when I press you, kind of you're walking back and say, well, he hasn't quite said that. Because no, here, no. Is, here is what I think is a huge issue. And I grant you, Mearsheimer comes closer to saying that than uh, most people who otherwise agree with him. Let, let me just say, here is, I think, a fundamental problem with straightening out American foreign policy and various other things in the world, which is that if you explain why from some foreign actor's point of view, it seemed to make sense to do some bad thing like invade Ukraine. And especially if you further explain, argue that we should have been able to anticipate the things we did would put them in the frame of mind uh, where they thought it would be in their interest to invade Ukraine. And therefore, maybe we shouldn't have done those things. If you say all that and don't come think, anywhere, and, and let me finish, saying? let me finish, okay. let me finish, and, okay, sorry. and don't come anywhere near saying, therefore, it's justified, therefore, we are to blame and Russia isn't. Even if you don't say that stuff, people think you mean it, okay? No, no. Mearsheimer did say that the United States and NATO are principally responsible for the war, for the invasion. Uh, uh, as I said, as I said, Mearsheimer comes closer to yes. this than I would advise. But even there, even there, with the word responsible, 
there's a big distinction among three things. Causally responsible. That is, if we hadn't done these things, they wouldn't invade. I think he certainly means that. that. Morally responsible. I don't think he's ever modified the word responsible with that. Legally responsible. He has no sense of morality. He's not a moral. Morals take play no role. Obviously, he would disagree with you, Fred. But but what's his? no, he doesn't say I'm a nihilist, Fred. He he he. No, he, no, no, but but moral morality has very little to do with his concept of international relations or power politics, backing a democracy or or whatever like that. It, yeah, well, whatever. I mean, I, I'm not. Well, what, what do you think that we have done? You said if we do something that has caused this to happen, what have we done that caused Putin to invade? Not not just to take over even Donbass, but to invade. Uh-huh. What 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 did me, we do that caused that? Okay, uh, let me uh, first, let's get rid let of. Me first of all, say that in my mind, mm-hmm. international law is a hugely important thing. Okay. So, in my mind, it's very easy to say Putin is responsible for this because he's the one that violated international law, mm-hmm. and nothing I say about why this happened or how we could have. Uh, made it less likely that it would happen bears on the question of whether or not he violated international law and is therefore responsible. Okay, so now Mearsheimer, and in fact, there's a long argument between me and Mearsheimer that you can Google on YouTube about international law. He's not the stickler for international law that I am. And so he has to have a different way of coping with these issues. But let me be clear. Nothing I say about America's possible causal mm-hmm. responsibility. The things they did that ill-advisedly make this made invasion more likely, and I think they did, we did many of them, uh, bear on the question of whether Russia is the bad guy in terms of international law. But the, the problem, that, and I think this is just huge, is that you, if you try, even with all that preamble I just gave you, and I apologize to people who have heard it before. You know, if you, it, once you start talking about things America uh, has did that you think were mistakes and made it more likely, you immediately get accused of being some kind of Putin apologist. Not by you, but, but the reaction against Mearsheimer does draw on that same kind of reflex. It's like, oh my God, are you saying? You know, we're we're the you know, just it, it just like, could we calm down, you know, and have a discussion? I mean, well, let's 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 look at this for a minute. A few months before the invasion, mm-hmm. it turns out U.S. intelligence agencies and, and I ignored it at the time, had it right. They said, no, the, Russia really is preparing for an invasion. And the director of the CIA went over. Talked with Putin. I've been told that in that forum and in others, we tried to offer certain assurances. Mm-hmm. Look, Ukraine is not going to join NATO. It's not going to be led into NATO. Uh, you know, I don't even see much appetite for letting Ukraine in NATO now, by the way. Oh, I, uh, I want to talk about that because I think there's but, now but, a real chance it will happen. Continue, so but, we're not going to. Uh, we are willing to to talk with you uh, to offer you some security assurances. For example, it was talked about, you know, the, the, Russia has always had this fear that these missile defense systems in Poland are actually offensive systems. We offered, you know, okay, come take a come have inspections of these things. We'll notify you of tests. 
we'll do this, we'll do that. Putin had lots of opportunities. And in fact, even shortly after the invasion started, even Zelensky, uh, and it's in the Ukrainian constitution that they have a goal of, of joining NATO. Zelensky said, eh, you know, maybe I, I think I'm cooling off on the notion that I need to join NATO. If Putin, had, there were plenty of exit ramps that were offered to Putin to to get out of. Uh, and I would also say this. <clears throat> I think of Putin, of all that he had done was just occupied Donbass and said, you know, I came into Donbass because you know, this bullshit about you know, there's Ukrainian mm-hmm. genocide and Russians there. Just occupy Donbass, nothing more. I think he would have got away with it. I don't think anybody, I mean, there would have been sanctions and things like that. Uh, we would not be sending $20 billion in, in armaments to Ukraine or uh, anything of the sort uh, if that's all that he did. So he took this. And then, you know, Mearsheimer still thinks that this is all that Putin wants. Putin is the one who's talked about there is no Ukraine. Uh, we're going to wipe it off the map. It's on neo-Nazis. We're, we're, this is the great Russian empire. We're well, he, he didn't say we're going to wipe it off the map, but go, but go ahead. He said we're going to wipe away the, the, the idea. There is no such thing as Ukraine. There is no Ukrainian nation. There is no, they are part of Russia. And we are going to eliminate this neo-Nazi regime that is trying mm-hmm. to pretend otherwise. And NATO is the one that's trying to push it because they're, you know, they want to destroy Russia. Uh, Mearsheimer somehow pretends that Putin hasn't said any of these things. And now are we just mm-hmm. not to take it seriously? Okay. Uh, I think, I think in fact, given the fact that really any objective analyst would be able to say, okay, Ukraine really isn't joining NATO anytime soon. Uh, that was never really his objection to begin with. It okay. was all this this nascent and now quite active uh, passion and desire to create his historical legacy by by uh, restoring the boundaries of the great Russian empire. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it's about. Okay, so uh, by the way, let me say, at this point, I think we can kind of jettison John Mearsheimer. I'm not yeah, sure. I think that, I, I, the question I'm interested in is why I disagree with you. Okay. Okay. Why I, uh, you know, do want to talk about America's uh, role and America's past and a lot of and and other people, if they don't say, well, those are pro Putin talking points, they say it's what about ism or why are we dwelling on the past? We have a a war to fight. I I want to. I don't say that. I don't say that. No, you don't. But you know that that's kind of what you get if you if you don't fall in line. You get that from a lot of people. You get it from Michael McFall and, and, and various people who have served in Democratic administrations and well, so on. OK, that's true. That's true. Um, but I, you know, I, I reviewed Mary Sarota's book in the New York Review of Books uh, back in. And I, I wrote the review before the invasion. I revised it a little bit after it happened because it, it appeared in March, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, where I, I started out saying, yeah, you know, uh, the prelude to all this was. NATO enlargement, and especially George W. Bush's declaration, NATO's declaration at the 2008 summit, that Ukraine and Georgia will become part of NATO. Mm-hmm. And that's where the tensions began. But as I say, you can, you can draw a very bold, dark line between acknowledging that and saying, therefore, Putin felt that as an existential matter, he needed to invade Ukraine. It's two completely different things. 
but no, listen, I'm, I'm listen. You you've known me for for many years, and I haven't changed my stripes that much. I, I I've I've long been uh, a critic of of the more aggressive aspects of, mm-hmm. of foreign policy. I will say on the matter of NATO enlargement, the biggest enthusiasts for NATO enlargement back in the '90s. It wasn't Strobe Talbot. It wasn't uh, Richard Holbrook. It was Václav Havel. It was uh, it was it was uh, Poland, the newly democratic right. Poland and Czechoslovakia, then Czech Republic, were desperate. Mm-hmm. They, you know, Havel came to power saying, "Oh, we should have a grand Europe," you know, from all the way through Vladivostok, from Newfoundland to Vladivostok. Then he becomes president, and he goes, "You know that that Article Five of NATO is starting to look pretty good to me." Uh, sure. Country, you know, his his friend Mila Kundera had once written that uh, a small country is a country that can be that can disappear overnight. Mm-hmm. They know this. They were most into, and I think, you know, I think uh, getting back to Mearsheimer for a minute, I think Isaac asked him if if the Baltics had not become members of NATO, do you think that uh, they would be independent countries right now? And and uh, I, th- I think I might be remembering this incorrectly, but the Mearsheimer acknowledged that maybe they wouldn't be uh, de facto, if not de jure. So it it anyway. Well, but I don't my, my answer to the that point. Way. The point is, I am not. I am not. I am not among those. And you're right; they do exist. Who 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 think that the war began with February 24th? There is a backdrop mm. to the war, and there were tensions mm. that that were created well, something spurred by us, but that's different yeah. from you know saying therefore you know the incessant shelling of electrical power plants throughout the cities of Ukraine is therefore you can draw a direct line yeah. from Bush's speech, uh, the NATO summit in two thousand eight to to that. I don't think that's true. Well, I I think. There was a lot more than than that even that we did that made this uh, uh, needlessly made this more likely. But before I get into it, let, let me be clear on uh, one reason I think dwelling on the past is worth it. And, and it's this right now we're at a point where some people are saying maybe we should start talking about, you know, some kind of peace deal. Obviously, that would leave Russia in possession of non-trivial amounts of Ukrainian territory. Okay, and one thing you hear in response to that, and of course, the upside of that is, uh, you know, you 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 end for the time being the threat of World War Three, nuclear war, various things getting out of control, not to mention the Ukrainians and Russians, in my moral calculus, who are dying every day. And all the the refugees and all the horrible shit. Okay, that's the upside. People say, yeah, but the downside is Russia violated. uh, They often say this norm against invading a sovereign uh, uh, country or they might say a democracy. I don't think that's really the way to think about it. But anyway, I would say I would say the law, the international law against what I would say is what I would concede is, yes, it is very important to uphold the norm of complying with the international law. You know, international law is this very fuzzy thing, and there's uh, far from universal compliance with it. And if you believe it, and as as I do, you want to build up the norm of complying with it, okay? 
That's the way this is going to have to work if international law is ever become going to become a forceful thing. And, and I assure you, I've spent a lot more time thinking about this, writing about it and advocating it than most of the people who are now making a big deal of it. Mm-hmm. And 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 what I want to say is. I think they are overestimating uh, how much uh, rolling Russia all the way back to the borders would do uh, for the norm of compliance with international law. And the reason they're overestimating it is because they don't appreciate the fact that the U.S. has done more than any country to erode it. And in fact, in the process of doing that, they made the Ukrainian invasion more likely. And there's been no reckoning. But I don't see I'll, I'll get into that, but let me finish. There has been no reckoning. So there is no prospect that we're going to come out of the, the Ukraine war and 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 uh, and say and by oh and by the way the U.S. now is going to turn over a new leaf and we're not going to invade countries as we've always done as we did in Iraq as we did in Kosovo. Are as- you suggesting that Putin said, "Well, the United States has invaded Iraq, therefore I, I can go ahead and invade Ukraine." No, no. Well, then, uh, what, what, uh, I, now, I, now, did, did that weigh on? Was that a factor? Yes, probably, but it wasn't decisive. I don't think so. Well, he, he mentioned it, but 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 uh, but no. What I'm saying is the U. A great frustration for me has been that the U.S. emerged from the Cold War in a unique position mm-hmm. to do something revolutionary. Really establish that we were the most powerful country by far. Really establish the norm of complying with international law. You know, taking the machinery of the UN uh, seriously, which actually George Bush one did in the Persian Gulf War. That was yeah. a legal war. That was a legal war. He went through the Security Council. Um, Bosnia intervention, legal war. I supported it. Okay. Um, Kosovo, not a legal war. But anyway, the the uh, what I'm saying is that uh, the value of you know, there's a reason that so much of the world. You know, in in Africa and once you get out of Europe and and our kind of neck of the woods, so much of the world is is not so enthusiastically in in uh, they don't view this the way we do. Mm -hmm. They view it more cynically as one hegemon laying down the law that it's in charge. We're running this world. Damn it. We get to we get to invade countries. You don't. There's a reason they view it this way. And that's because that's that's what our policy is. Okay. That we still do not take well, international law seriously. Okay, fine, but I'm just saying. Example, I'm, I, okay, but uh, there, there, look, there are lots. Yeah, let me just say one more thing. That the purpose of that detour was to explain to people why, from my ideological point of view, talking about how America, in my view, made this invasion much more likely is not just dwelling on the past when there's more important things to do. It's not being a Putin apologist. It's like, you know. It has the reason I just uh, described of explaining to people that from now on interventions like this, which in principle I support. I mean, I'm not opposed to giving support to Ukraine once once they're invaded. I'm just saying interventions like this will forever be of limited value if people in the United States, in the blob, in the national security uh, establishment don't start taking international law seriously. America is nowhere near doing that. That's that. I think we can have a discussion about about this with or without talking about international law. The the notion that that Russia needs 
some kind of justifying implicit permission from U.S. behavior to do what they did, or that we need implicit behavior. Justifying is your word, but go ahead. Well, whatever. You say that we're responsible for this in some way. I, I don't, Causally. I, I don't Causally. Causally. I don't, I certainly don't see that. I don't, in fact, I would say this. A bigger cause, I think, uh, was that I think Putin thought he could get away with this. Why? Mm-hmm. Because he annexed Crimea. Nothing happened. So just, cannot- wait, wait, sorry. One more intervention. I didn't even say we're responsible for it. Okay, that's your word too. That's causally. Your word. causally, we well, have we have some causal responsibility, but not exclusive responsibility. All right, that's fine. Putin, Putin is I'm, a factor I'm, too. I'm, it's, a, it's a complex I'm system. But, but go ahead. Here's what I think are the more direct causes. Okay, Putin thought he could get away with it. Why? Well, he annexed Crimea without firing a shot, by the way, and uh, for for some good reason that we can discuss later, but. Uh, and, you know, a few economic sanctions, nothing. He backs the separatists and even sends some men in his own men in green green uh, outfits to 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 take over at least a slice of Donbass. Uh, nothing. And in fact, here, let, let me let me. You know, there was an argument within the Obama administration on whether to send anti-tank missiles. Uh, Vice President Biden thought we should. Most of the Russia specialists and the NSC staff thought we should. Obama didn't. Obama's reason for this quite explicitly was, look, uh, Ukraine is more important to Russia than it is to us. It's right there. It's been a part of their history, their culture. If we escalate this thing militarily, they will too. Just more people will be killed. It's not worth it. Let's do economically. That was Obama's rationale for not doing military intervention of, of any sort. And by the way, they, back then, only they were talking about javelin anti-tank missiles. Only When finally, Secretary of Defense Mattis under Trump did send javelins, it was with a very specific condition. They had to be locked up in western Ukraine. They could not be used in the fight in the east. But here, just a kind of a symbolic thing to show that we've got your back. That was as far as the debate went. Putin thought he could get away with it. He also thought, for Christ knows what reasons, that Ukraine would accept this as a, um, you know, a godsend. Oh, our Russian savior coming to get us. He also thought, as did U.S. intelligence agencies, that Kiev would fold in a matter of days or weeks, and then that would be the end of it. So if you're looking for partial causal responsibility, Mm. far from it's being the case that, that, that it was, you know, well, the U.S. does this kind of thing all the time. No, it was, well, the U.S. and NATO was kind of seemingly falling apart because of Trump. Uh, Germany was at the time still very dependent on oil and gas from Russia. He thought not so much that, well, U.S. does this kind of shit all the time. No, it was that we'll be able to get away with this. Nobody's going to do a thing. And now is the time for me to, I'm getting tired of the stalemate that's been going on in eastern uh, Ukraine, you know, 14,000 people died in that war up till February of, this, of last year, mm-hmm. including an estimated four or 500 Russian soldiers. He said, let's end this thing. And I got away with it in, in, in Crimea. I got away with it so far. I'll just go all the way. People will yell, but that'll be the end of it. It'll all be over in a month and things will be normal again. He thought he could get away with it. That is the number one reason why he did it. Now, once 
he realized that this was going to go on for a while. I, I have to confess something, by the way. I wrote a column in early February saying that Putin won't won't invade. Mm-hmm. And I went all the reasons why, because Russia just isn't any good at this. They've never done offensive, multi-pronged warfare. Their logistics are, are terrible. Their supply lines will be cut off. Their junior officers aren't trained to take the initiative. Anything goes wrong. In other words, my analysis is spot on. My conclusion was wrong because Putin invaded anyway. So I guess he doesn't read my columns. What can you say? But but the point is that Putin had many chances, even a few weeks after the war started, and it was clear that, hey, this isn't going to go the way he thought it was, to back out of it. He had a chance to do it. And instead except for backing away from the theater in Kiev. Instead, he doubled down on, on, yeah. on everything Look, else. I mean, I think all that captures a fair amount of his thought processes. Obviously, he thought he could get away with it and miscalculated. All that's true. Uh, and if I were Russian, <clears throat> and if Russia were more of a democracy and citizens had more hope of influencing foreign policy, that's what I'd be talking about. But I'm American. And so I look at how American foreign policy could be better. And if I look at a situation like this and think, you know, if either Russia or the United States had been wiser, this wouldn't have happened. I focus on the United States part. I'm I'm arguing about U.S. foreign policy. I I still don't listen. I'm not not a complete apologist for U.S. foreign policy, but I still don't see where you think that except for NATO enlargement. And if that's what we're talking about, okay. except for that, I don't see how the U.S. is partially causally responsible for the all-out invasion of ukraine i I don't see it i don't know what you're talking about okay i I think in my view uh you i mean first of all that alone is a significant thing so many people predicted that nato enlargement would lead to invasion ukraine including the cia the current cia director you just mentioned predicted it in 2008 uh the, the um but but that alone is not trivial, okay? It was it was an epic mistake, I think, to expand NATO. But but that's not the end of it. If if you look at you know some people talk about Putin as if you know his aspiration all along has been to restore the Russian Empire. The truth is that if you look at the first you know five years or so uh, of his reign, um, I think you see a guy who very much wants. To to be welcomed into the community as a major right. player, right? Russia was flat on its back. He right. had no choice but to do this. Sure. And, but 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 would you say we made it easy? I mean, come on, let's oh, review. Uh, yes, I'd say yes, we did. Oh, we did? Let's oh, review we gave, a few we gave Russia. We gave Russia billions and billions and billions of dollars. We opened up the G7 to them, made it the G8 until he did invade uh, mm-hmm. Annex Crimea. No, we, we opened them up into every international institution there was. We no. offered them a place in, in peace partnership for peace. No, I think in, in terms of, 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 of the period of, of Yeltsin and early Putin, uh, no, the United States was, was incredibly welcoming, maybe more so than we should okay, have Okay, so what about, like, here's, uh, I mean, first of all, uh, I mean, a number of things, if you go back to when he was, I, I think, Prime Minister by this point. You want to start at the very beginning about us doing things uh, Russia really didn't want us to do. I mean, you can mention these international institutions and it's not nothing. Oh, it's, but, it's but, a, but, you know, 
Putin would have would have he made noises about actually joining NATO. We weren't going to let him do that. And, uh, and, and we talked about he Russia, in fact, for a few years, uh, did attend NATO meetings. Yeah, I know, but but yeah, but well, he I mean, come on. I, I know we, we helped them. We helped them, we helped them uh, restore you know the nun the nun Luger. Billions of dollars helping them protect their their yeah. loose nukes. I mean, if, if everything was falling I, apart, I, I I think there's only so deep we want to get into the weeds, and I, I'm not going to get this into isn't this. the weeds. You said that we didn't help them at all when they were on their backs. No, well, well, that we did quite let a me lot. let me tell you some things I think really mattered to them more than being allowed to sit in at meetings of institutions they were not going to be allowed to join, like NATO. The the uh, you know beginning with. Starting with, uh, you know, the Kosovo intervention, violation of international law, which, by the way, included us uh, relentlessly bombing uh, Serbia's uh, power infrastructure, roughly what, what Russia is doing now and, and making no bones about it and saying this is war. It's fair. We did all that. Let that alone. The the uh, that's on the record. There's no doubt about it. the the. Um, uh, Russia really didn't want us to do that, that, you know, Serbia was kind of loosely speaking, uh, an ally and a Slavic nation and all that. We were violating international law that kind of drove them crazy. And, and you know, you mentioned that uh, the, Na- the threat of NATO, ex- the prospect of NATO expansion helped drive the Georgia thing. I would say as important was the fact that right before the Georgia thing, uh, we we recognize Kosovo's independence. That was a big issue with them, and it remained a big one. Okay, but then after nine eleven, we have to concede to every single Russian interest, all especially I'm saying, after winning the Cold War in order in order to keep them from invading a neighboring country. I, I think that's going too far. No, I'm not saying we have to. And again, it's like you're you're you almost seem to be slipping into the kind of moral like, what do we owe them? I'm just listing things that made this more likely. OK, and asking, yeah, I don't see the link. I don't I, I see these as things that made them more distrustful of us. Everyone agrees Kosovo but, made Georgia more likely, Fred. No, I Georgia. Just, yeah, no, I'm talking about I'm talking about Ukraine. OK, but the, a but, long time between but, Georgia but the unraveling of relations right. is an ongoing thing. And Georgia was a big part of it. Unraveling is one thing. Uh, thereby, therefore, invading a country killing civilian. Talk about war crimes. I mean, Jesus Christ, there's nothing that we've done since Vietnam that, that comes anywhere close to what or what Russia is doing just in terms of the complete obliteration of, of any kind of international law and, and standards of civilization. Uh, you know, the 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 un the unmarked, you know, the the the, the mass graves, the the deliberate targeting of, of civilian targets. Uh, you know, again, I Okay, so I, can we get back to what I don't I'm, see the how what's going on now? Right, is caused by what even the worst of what we did against Russia, including you know abrogating the ABM treaty, which I thought was an enormous mistake. Okay, that's an excellent example. That's an excellent I don't see example. How that causes what's going on? Well, now. well, you know what you know what this gets at is is the way that I think uh, Mearsheimer's model is too simple, and I'm not saying the way he actually looks at it is too simple. But in terms of the variables he admits to his formal academic model, I just think it's too simple. He, he, you know, as you know, the hardcore realists view every leader as this pure, as this national security calculator. When in fact, they have a all kinds of domestic political things impinging on, on it. It's a piece on a chessboard. It's a magnet right. on a yeah. 
and 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 B, they're human beings and they have a psychology. Okay, mm-hmm. so I so I think within a particular political system. Sure, and and they're humans and they have idiosyncrasies. Like Putin, yeah. we know he's thin skinned. He has a chip on his shoulder. We knew all this twenty years ago, right? And 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 I think the smart statesperson takes all of this into account as they're crafting U.S. foreign policy. Like, who are we dealing with here? How likely are they to do something? And we don't think, think we did crazy? that at all. You don't think I, we did I, that at all? I think we did a terrible job of actually. I think some of the analysis was done. Bill Burns did it, and he said yeah. he said, uh, you know, current CIA director. And he said in 2008, sent a memo to Bush: do not expand it. You know, yeah. yeah. Some of the analysis was done, but we didn't follow through on the analysis. But but let me get back to the the ABM thing is is a is a really good example because. Putin, after 9-11, of course, famously, he's the first guy to call George Bush. How can we help you? He gives us real help. He gives us real help in the Afghanistan war. Within within months of that phone call, Bush says, by the way, you know, I know you're really lobbying against us getting out of this ABM treaty. Well, fuck you. We're doing it. Okay. Months, months after. Not even months. Okay. Now, that was one of the first things. In fact, he did that. He notified him several months after 9-11. He notified him several months after 9-11. The ABM treaty had a six-month, had a clause that you can get out after six months. Right. He notified him before then. Yeah. So, again, uh, you know, Putin is, he's this, A, he's a human being. He takes slights personally at least as much as the average human being. B, you know, Russia, it's a it's an it's a it's a great power that has just been humiliated. It's like a formerly great power. Well, see, it's like is, it's a for, there you go. It's a formerly great power. Well, don't get us back to Mearsheimer. I know what you're going to say, but go ahead. No, <laughs> it is not. Listen, but let's I think we should go ahead now. I think we're kind of grinding wheels at this point. Let's talk. No, we're about not. Whether, no, we're not. I'm saying the mistakes. Uh, and no. I'm saying I'm saying that they don't add up to what to what Putin is doing now. You can take the ABM, abrogating the ABM treaty, mm-hmm. barging NATO, uh, the Kosovo. How about the missiles we put in Eastern Europe that drove him crazy, and he begged us not to do? And it? and the ones where where uh, Burns recently said, "Yeah, come over. Uh, you can inspect them all you want. You can be present at tests. You can." Okay, you know, if you. If you want to fast forward to to a, a saying, year or two before that, the invasion, I'm, I'm happy you, to you do that. You put in all of this. You put in all of this. And I agree with your critiques of just about all of them as well. Yeah. To me, this does not lead to so, the complete invasion and attempted obliteration. On the one hand, you're conceding that a number of people, including uh, Bill Burns and uh, and going back into the 90s, people who weren't against NATO expansion, Mm-hmm. Um, said, look, you do this, there's going to be trouble. George Kennan said, and then people will say, this is the way Russia is, but they're wrong. It will be, it will be something we push them into doing when they start creating trouble. All these experts predicted it, but what you're saying, but, 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 but you're saying it, it, I mean, some of them predicted specifically war in Ukraine, like Bill Burns, and, and some of them just said, look, Russia's going to make trouble. It could lead to war. This is a bad idea. We did expand NATO. It did happen. And yet now you're saying, wait, there was nothing predictable. Of the, we did not predictably increase the chances of war breaking out on Russia's periphery. There was no, nothing in U.S. foreign policy. I, I, well, no, I, I, I didn't even did. say war breaking out on Russia's periphery. I'm talking about the complete invasion of Ukraine and the attempt to obliterate Ukraine and many killing, deliberate killing of, of hundreds of thousands of civilians. 
That's what I'm saying. That's what we're talking about. So now. a more as modest said, invasion said, would have been I think okay? That of all the, if, listen, I think at some point when this war ends, however it ends, uh, one of the things that will be discussed at the negotiating tables will be the disposition of Donbass and Crimea. That, that's where the war really started, and that will be where it ends if it ends. And as I said, I think that if all that Putin had done was simply to occupy Donbass and said, this is ours now, mm-hmm. I mean, it would have been deplorable, but nobody would have done anything about it. And actually, I wouldn't be sitting here complaining about it either, I have to tell you. As far as Crimea, I mean, to me, I know that, and I don't know if he's saying this sincerely or for bargaining purposes, but, you know, Zelensky saying we're going to take back Crimea. Quite honestly, look, you know, Crimea was, Khrushchev gave Ukraine Crimea in 1954 in honor of the 300th anniversary of something or another. Uh, it didn't mean a thing because the the pertinent political entity at the time was the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. So the Republic of Russia, Republic of Ukraine, it, it didn't mean anything. So I think, and, and in fact, you know, I suspect one reason why he was able to take Crimea without a shot being fired uh, was because really, I don't, I don't know what the situation is now, but back then, most most people who lived in, in Crimea considered themselves Russian. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think a single life is worth sacrificing for keeping Crimea part of Ukraine, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. I don't think, uh, as I said, I don't think the United States would or should have sent billions of dollars uh, in military assistance to Ukraine so that they could fight to take back Donbass. However, that said, once Russia has taken over this territory and treated everybody in it quite brutally, I mean, to the point where even a, a city like Kharkiv which was, you know, 20 miles from, from Russia and pretty much Russian, you know, before a year ago, mm-hmm. uh, to allow Russia to keep any of this territory that they have grabbed is, would I think be, uh, would, would, would maybe slightly overstating this, but would, would cause global chaos to erupt, aside from everything else. And you can't you can't allow the the, the problem with with having a ceasefire and peace negotiations now, which I know, which if it were possible, I would be for it, too. I don't like, you know, you see these these stories about 100 Russians getting killed, you know, in some barracks. Uh, I'm not celebrating that. Most of the, you know, I, I was a Moscow correspondent from 92 to 95. I might have known, you know, some of these people who are getting killed. I don't like the idea of, of most of these Russian soldiers who are just cannon fodder being blown to bits. Mm-hmm. Uh, this doesn't fill me with with, with great, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. I, that's not my attitude toward it. This is all a big tragedy. At the same time, if, the, if right now the United States pressured Ukraine, okay, look, this has gone too far. We're holding everything in abeyance. You've got to have a ceasefire right now. And we're going to negotiate about this. The problem with that is that nobody's pushing Russia. If, if, if there were some kind of condition where you say the United States, China, India together could then put 
the clamp on both sides. Say, okay, you're not, we're having a ceasefire. We're having negotiations. You're not doing a goddamn thing until these things are over. That might be worth entertaining, but that isn't happening. That isn't going to happen. So if there's a ceasefire, you know that all that's going to happen is that Russia in particular is going to regroup for the next round of, of escalation in the spring. They're not going to negotiate anything seriously. If we're, we, have the, we have the ability to push Ukraine. Who is pushing Russia? We have no leverage over Putin right now. Neither really, maybe she does if he yeah, wanted to, but China he doesn't really to. want to either. So how is this a, an equitable thing for there to be a ceasefire and negotiations now? It is. It would do nothing except help help Russia in the conflict, and it really wouldn't end the conflict, because neither side at this point is willing to say, okay, yeah, let's, I mean, if Russia were to really say, let's say if Putin, you know, if Putin's had a change in heart or his head wound up on a spike tomorrow and somebody came to the fore and said, listen, I think this war was a mistake. Uh, let's do this right now. And the deal was, okay. I mean, here, here's a, I wrote something in March. Okay, here's how the war ends. Here's a peace plan. And it was actually kind of similar to Kissinger's now, except that it was back in March before all this stuff happened. It's Russia withdraws completely. out. It goes back to where it was on February 23rd. Uh, a truly independent, internationally supervised referendum in Donbass, and kind of forget about Crimea. That was my idea. But you're not going to have a truly independent, internationally inspected referendum in Donbass when you have Russian troops occupying a good a good chunk right. of Donbass or Ukrainian troops occupying a good chunk of Donbass. So we do not. It's not that I'm against diplomacy, it's that right now we do not have the preconditions mm-hmm. for a genuinely diplomatic settlement. Okay. That's, that's my position. I want to talk about that and the Kissinger plan, because I, I think you and I uh, interpret the Kissinger plan a little differently in terms of what he was actually proposing. First, let me let me just say quickly a couple of things by way of uh, hoping to close out the earlier part of the conversation. Um, one is that uh, just in, in in terms of uh, things that led uh, that that I think I think again I think we we've spent almost uh, from from 1996 uh, on doing things uh, with respect to Russia that made this somewhat more likely and somewhat predictably more likely. That's my view. Could be wrong, but but my my critique of U.S. fall foreign policy is a broad one in that sense, and it certainly includes our various uh, violations of, of international law, most notably the ones that have gotten under Russia's skin, but I, I, I have issues with all of them. Uh, and, and, and second, this is, you know, when I ask myself, like, why, uh, what is the difference between me and, and, and a few people who have who you might have previously thought of as restrainers, but are kind of distancing themselves from the restrainer community uh, now. I think one of them is is, is this, is what I just said. It's like, I have a, a very broad and deep critique of American foreign policy uh, writ large that, uh, and, and I think um, it is very relevant to what happened in Ukraine and of course, it's too late to go back and change policies in ways that that 
prevent the war from happening. Uh, but I, I, I think, A, if we let go, you know, if we miss this opportunity to understand how our kind of carelessly throwing our weight around leads to bad things, we will have really missed an important teaching moment. You and I disagree about this because you don't think we 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 it was we we made uh, really consequential mistakes in our in our Russian well, policy at least at least in terms of this consequence. You you just well, that's the thing. I I agree with you in terms of you know NATO enlargement did have its uh, its consequences, which which I think. I would even go so far as to agree that it created the kind of environment that made something like this more likely. I, where I disagree is... Well, that's my definition of bad policy, but go ahead. But also, I think it had its upside because, number one, it was something that was very much desired by the the newly independent democratic countries in Central and Eastern Europe. I do think, and I'm wondering if you agree with me here, that if there hadn't been NATO enlargement or some at least serious reckoning along the lines of partnership for peace, maybe, uh, do you think that the Baltics, Czech Republic, Poland would be independent countries right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. If we if we had gone all in on engaging Russia. Well, but see, we did. We we did both. Yeah, but see, you, you I, I conceded. Think, actually, we did these things that pissed him off hugely. Well, Asian I'm not. Them. We don't. Listen, this was in Eastern Europe. I do not think it's the obligation of the United okay. States not to piss off a country that we just defeated in the Cold War. Okay, we're going to do not something. a moral obligation. Hey, it's just why. No, I'm not talking moral obligation. I'm not talking moral obligation. We're going to do certain things that are going to piss them off, like get out of Don't the ABM treaty. Are you no, defending no, I, that? Decision? I thought that was a big mistake. What about the missiles in Eastern Europe? As I said, I, I was never in favor of that. Okay, but so we did these things stupid. you think didn't but make if sense. You really do think, if you really do think that 10 missile defense batteries uh, pose any threat to the Russian strategic deterrent, you're, you're, you're being a little nuts. Well, you're not talking to Mearsheimer here, okay? So I don't... I, I'm talking Putin's complaint about no, 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 no. But I'm saying, uh, you know, my view of what happened to Putin is, like, he's this autocrat, who identifies very closely with Russia. And we repeatedly after the Cold War showed him what he predictably interpreted as signs of dis- major disrespect. OK, they, now they were also uh, what a, a Mearsheimer would count as actual encroachments and innocence threats to Russia's national security. Too. And that's not irrelevant. But there but were they, other things. There were other things, too, which were quite beneficial. Things didn't start going belly like, up. Like, like, you know, hey, the, the New START Treaty kept the, the Russia, which, by the way, is one of the few arms control treaties that they have uh, complied with in, in full, uh, kept the, the Russia from, from launching on a really expensive nuclear arms race, just as it prevented us. And the kinds of... of yeah, uh, it, was, it was win-win. Yeah. On both sides. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a gift. The, you're you're really making a big mistake if you minimize the 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 opening with with welcoming with open arms into a, a, just a, a, an array of of political, economic, and security related international institutions. Uh, listen, I, things started to go to hell uh, when Putin succeeded mid came back and succeeded Medvedev. Medvedev, who's now trying to kind of outdo Putin mm-hmm. crazy rhetoric, well, it was actually 
uh, quite moderate, quite Western leaning, uh, and uh, you know uh, was yeah. But, but, but Putin's return roughly coincides with the uh, you know Bush saying we're you know we're, we're two things uh, we're, we're we are expanding NATO into Ukraine and B uh, no, 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 we are recognizing Kosovo's no, independence. He said Ukraine will become a. Ukraine and Georgia will become members of NATO. Well, that, say, well you know what that sounds like to me? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds no, like saying nowhere, Ukraine is going to become nowhere, a member of NATO. We're nowhere. We're, as I said, right now, there is no appetite, even now, for Ukraine becoming a part of NATO. And in fact, the reason why Biden's policy is still fairly popular here mm-hmm. is that American troops aren't dying. The second that uh, say a handful of Americans die in this war, mm-hmm. everything changes. And Biden very well knows this. If 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 Ukraine were a member of NATO right now, mm-hmm. it would be compelled by Article Five to at least have a serious debate about. We would be seen as obligated to send in okay. troops. And 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 Biden has quite wisely refrained you know he, he refrained from doing you know at the beginning Zelensky was pushing for a no-fly zone you know american planes mm. coming in and and shooting down russian planes and biden said nope is not going to happen we're not interested in provoking world war three uh we have been in fact quite cautious in observing uh things that putin has declared as red lines uh the presence of Americans uh, being foremost. There are some things that he said would be red lines that turn out not to be. Well, because we did cross them. So, in fact, we have not respected what he said were red lines. We've crossed a number of his red lines, and I agree they turned out not to be red lines. Well, I'm sorry. If he says, here, I own these four provinces of Ukraine. No, I'm just saying you're factually wrong. He He said, hold on, hold on. If Ukraine comes in here and kills anybody, yeah. That's a red line. We might use nuclear weapons. I'm not saying that's we true. should respect him, Fred. I'm not that's, saying that's the red line that that, that Zelensky crossed with our. Fred, I'm not saying we should respect his red lines. You just made the statement that we have, and I'm saying we have. And he laid down a number of red lines well, uh, that, red that we crossed, that we and he didn't respected. do anything. It's, it's, it's not out of respect. It's out of our own self interest. Is something that might provoke him into attacking a NATO country or in using nuclear weapons. We've been quite cautious about that. Now it turns out. It's some of the things I think that we were excessively cautious initially. I mean, you might recall initially it was like, no, we're not going to send you any Western planes. We're not going to send you any Western arms. And now we decide, well, yeah, OK, you can have some drones. You can have some right. this. And, and it hasn't really affected Putin's calculation. He hasn't, you know, Kherson, according to what Putin had said before Ukraine went into Kherson to, to reclaim it. Uh, that might have been seen I mean, as a red line. It what? wasn't. We don't know it has. We don't know it hasn't affected his calculation. Uh, six months ago, he wasn't bombing their power infrastructure. Now he is. So we don't. We don't really know what what did. It probably war. did. But, but in terms of in terms of widening the war, in ways that uh, that we've been very concerned about. That's what I mean. Yeah. Um, Look, if, 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 if if Russia didn't have nuclear weapons, mm-hmm. or if we really thought there was like a zero percent chance that they would use them under any circumstances. You know, NATO air power would have gone in there and, and shut down this war in a matter of weeks. I mean, the uh, fact that Ukraine, the fact that Ukraine with U.S. intelligence assistance and armaments assistance has been able to completely 
nullify Russian air superiority, has has done as well as they have, uh, shows that if, if the U.S. went in there, even just with air power, with the kinds of precision targeting that we have, I mean, oh, my God. And in fact, I do think, and uh, several people have said this, if, say, the Russians did use nuclear weapons of any sort, mm-hmm. I don't think we would respond with nuclear weapons. And 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 I'll go into the reason why I think that. If you want, it's an interesting story. No, I, I, but, I think, I, I, but I think the one thing we would do yeah. is to go in there and completely obliterate every Russian military position in Ukraine. And the war would, in effect, be over in a matter of a couple of weeks. But we're not doing that because we don't want to provoke what we would be retaliating against. Yeah, we're not we're not certifiably insane, which is good. We recognize that Russia has nuclear weapons. Um, The uh, let let me say, well, just just footnote um, in terms of uh, Putin's expressed concerns about NATO, um, you know, uh, we. Uh, you know, NATO enlargement per se was a big issue. And according to Derek Chollett and the State Department, we made it clear to him early on before he invaded, we are not going to guarantee uh, that that there's no NATO expansion. Sorry, oh, a, little, well, a little moratorium, maybe, but 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 well, no, that's not we weren't going to give him what he wanted. That's not quite what he said. Yeah, it is. He said there's no way Putin was demanding something written on paper saying right. Ukraine will never join NATO. Right. What was said? We refuse. As a practical matter, we 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 can't do that. As a practical matter, but let me tell you. Well, no, we we could. We could. We could. It's not going to happen anytime soon, and for for the following reasons: A, B, C, D, E, and F. And those A, B, D, C, and F. Well, probably three or four of those still hold. I mean, what I was getting to was there is still no appetite for Ukraine joining NATO because if they were a member of NATO right now, we would have to go in with troops. And that there's no support for. I that. actually let me get to why I think Ukraine may why uh, wind up getting it into um, uh, NATO. Uh, but first, I want to say uh, I take your point that the U.S. president can't really guarantee what future administrations can do. But could he have gotten something on paper? Yes, we could have had NATO literally rescind the Bucharest Declaration. Okay, that's possible. Now, you may say it wasn't politically possible for Biden, whatever. But the idea that we couldn't have met his demands in principle is just wrong. NATO could have done something that would have satisfied at least what he said he wanted. But the second well, thing I want to say is his own, uh, you know, that that was not NATO enlargement per se was not the end of his his complaints. It was uh, and he made a big deal of this in his pre-invasion speech, the one where Julia Yaffe said he, quote, barely mentioned NATO. But in fact, if you count, mentioned it 40 times. What he talked about a lot was the de facto NATOization of Ukraine. And as you know, we've seen in weapons, NATO advisors, U.S., you know, special. Op- we've seen in every. We've done, that. we've done that since he invaded. Not no, no, no. We, no, no, no. We were doing that before. There were there were no, there were there wasn't a single offensive weapon in Ukraine that came from the United States. Well, as you know, as you more than anyone knows, Fred, the distinction between an offensive and a no, defensive weapon. Nothing more powerful than a than a javelin anti-tank missile. Nothing. Okay, but, well, uh, OK, but if if Ukraine. Well, and I mean, it's complicated because he was also concerned not, with what was going on. Not complicated. No, it is. It I mean, is it complicated. We had, you know, we had a few, you know. Special operations okay. people training them on how to do certain things. There was, 
There was no NATOization of Ukraine before February 20th. Well, there was a lot of NATO training of Ukrainian officers Into and so on, right? like using anti-tank weapons and well, some intelligence. and more generally, integration into the NATO way of doing things. Absolutely well, not. Well, let me just say, if you compare policy in 2015 to policy pre-invasion, from Putin's point of view, a lot of weapons had gone into Ukraine, NATO advisors, training of Ukrainian troops had all happened. Little stuff. What had really happened, okay. what had really happened, and he was concerned about this, was, and this is what set off 2014, uh, a lot of interest in Kiev in taking, their, taking an associate membership in the European Union. Doing things. Oh yeah, that's a whole. Yeah. Oh, and that that I think is crucial. Well, twenty fourteen is complicated. Yeah, and demonstrating that uh, a democratic government, a Western leaning democratic government in the capital of Ukraine, was something that was possible. Yeah, no. that was demonstrating to protesters in Moscow as well as elsewhere in the former Soviet Union that hey, you don't need to have your you don't need to orbit around Moscow anymore. Yeah, Look no. At I think, I think, I think, predictably, predictably a serious threat to him. Yeah, predictably, he would view that as a threat. And I think the EU could have handled the thing in 2014. Therefore, we should have discouraged that because it was provocative to Putin, having Ukraine become a more Western leaning democratic uh, country. I think we should have their own volition, by the way. I think wasn't they were pressured to do this by Hillary Clinton and the CIA, as he claims. I think we should have encouraged the EU to adopt a more flexible uh, kind of work out a more flexible status for Ukraine, because that was predictably going to be. And and let me just say, Fred, surely you would agree, okay, that if that if you look at I mean, you're familiar with the security dilemma and the way people seem national leaders seem to view things that are intended defensively as offensive. Mm -hmm. Surely you would agree that if we look back at things that America has considered threats that had to be headed off with a coup d'etat or military force. I mean, we invaded Granada for God's I've, sake. I've been against okay. those things Surely. Too. Fine. I've, I've, been, fine. I've, been, I've been, you know, I, I've been... Uh, Fred, fine, you're against them, but, but you recognize, you recognize that given the fact that we keep doing them, if we were expecting Putin not to respond explosively to this, we were expecting to, him to be a very different kind of person than our leaders have been, right? Mm, look, I cannot think of... Well, look, so what you're saying is that, therefore, we should have just held the line and kept Ukraine, held them back and kept them in the position of being nothing more than a vassal of Moscow, no, uh, a perfectly pliant uh, pawn. No, the answer is no. In, that's in, not what in I'm saying. Moscow's sphere of influence, uh, because otherwise, Putin might get mad and invade Ukraine. Uh, well, let, me know, ask, let me ask. Let me ask. Going farther than than we do, we weren't no. doing anything in Ukraine that, by any objective calculation, posed a real threat to Putin's government? No, but by the, but the Russian but by, territorial but Fred, Fred by, the, the by the standards that we use to assess threat. I don't like those either. Of course, but they're a fact of human nature, apparently. You have to take them into account. 
Well, so and let me ask you a question. So that's what I'm asking. That's what let I'm asking. Ask you, Are you, you saying that we needed to put the clamps okay. on anything that Ukrainians did that would maybe piss off Putin? Are you saying that we have no for the right. sake of world peace that we should have done that? We have no right to tell Ukraine what to do at all. But so then, what, then what's going on? NATO what, has what, a right to decide who gets to join. Well, that's you're not violating any country's agency that's, that's by saying we have a selective membership policy. We do have a selective membership party. Well, NATO. then what's wrong with saying no? We 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 did say Ukraine applied and applied. No, we didn't say no. Not. We said you will become a member of NATO, no, and we put it on paper. A huge mistake. But was it was it even remotely on the verge of happening? Not remotely. Not remotely. Well, again, if you're Putin, if you're if you're Putin and you assess threats the way American leaders have always assessed threats, and we say, oh, it's off in the distant future. Meanwhile, we're going to send more and more weapons and advisors in. Of course, you're going to freak out. Yeah, we always we freak out. We send more and more weapons and advisors in before just before just February 2020. Fred, we've never even encountered anything remotely like this. Neither Mexico nor Canada has ever has ever had anything like some kind of serious foreign uh, involvement with an adversary. We, we don't even know what this is like. We do know that threats much more remote than that. We have responded explosively. To. Yeah, we have. So here's the thing. I mean, as I say, before, from about November 2021 till February of 2022, uh, we sent in more emissaries and more messages than have been publicly revealed, at least I've been told offering all kinds of assurances and invitations to summits and meetings. You might recall, I forget when it was, it wasn't too long before February, that that that, that Biden, after some Zoom call with Putin, uh, referred to him as a worthy adversary. There were, there were, Gosh. If, Putin, if Putin, if all it was, was Putin concerned about the security of Russia, because of what was going on in Ukraine, mm -hmm. we were offering up all kinds of avenues to deal with this. We were offering him all kinds of stuff. Except what he wanted. And he didn't take any of them. Well, you take mean, any there's no point going. I mean, you know, if you if you look at the, the main things he was asking for, we said, no, and I'm not, I'm not no, even no, saying no, they he, were all no, reasonable. No, he, well, he, the one thing that he asked for was something on paper, a legal document saying that Ukraine will never join NATO. Now, I suppose that we could have said, okay, and then just torn it up 20 years. There would always be an escape clause in, in any kind of document. But uh, we said, look, we'll, we'll do a lot, anything practically short of that. But there, there's no way if that we NATO had rescinded the Bucharest Declaration, it probably would have done it. But the, uh... Okay, you know what? If he had demanded that and we just stayed hush about it, that would be an interesting point. But that was never any of his demands. Well, no, we, well, anyway, look, we, we were clearly not willing to talk to him about things like that. The, uh, we, we made that. Know, we definitely did talk to him about, about here's five reasons why Ukraine isn't joining NATO anytime soon. And in fact, I would say if the war were over right but, now, but Fred, they'd already gotten one oral, your recipe, as you know, they got an oral reassurance in, in the early nineties, the Soviet Union about NATO not expanding. It turned out it wasn't true. That what? How do, can you expect them to expect accept some vague oral reassurance? You know that that's kind of a myth. No, it's not a myth. It is. What grew? What this grew out of? There was a meeting between James Baker and Gorbachev, he, where they were talking about Germany. Leave that aside. The Secretary General of NATO is on record as saying back then that it wouldn't happen. Okay, 
but but look, we don't forget the, the baker. That's, that's too much in the weeds. Don't please. But look, yeah. as I said, I we I, I told you about the mixed feelings that I've had, and it's not ambivalence. It's that I've seen the good and the bad of it, of of NATO enlargement. It was, uh, and it was certainly something. And and I, I urge listeners to read Mary Sirota's book about this. Not one inch. Uh, there was a way of doing this that would have been uh, much less provocative than than the way that it happened. I I, mm-hmm. I don't discount that claim whatsoever. Okay, but uh, by the way, back to your your question of well, what I am I saying we should force Ukraine into abject uh, subjugation or or whatever? What I'm saying is that b- beginning with the end of the Cold War, uh, one of our primary projects should have been integrating Russia smoothly into the community of nations, and it could have been done. And and Bill Clinton uh, started things off by screwing up big time to gratify arms makers and get some Eastern European, some votes uh, from voters of Eastern European heritage. And, and that's on the record. And we also had the Partnership for Peace, which Clinton oh, thought was a terrific idea, and it just kind of fell apart. But uh, I think and part of that was because Clinton was in a weak position with okay. and everything. But let me there are ways to, to do that. And I think I agree that we should have focused more on EU than on NATO uh-huh. and more on partnership for peace than on NATO. And although I think we did quite a lot to draw uh, Russia into Western institutions. Yeah. Could there have been more done? Yeah, I think so. Uh, is, is it, is, I was in is, Moscow in 1992 from yeah. 1995. Uh, it, it was pieces of of, of uh, drumsticks, chicken drumsticks, were referred to as bush legs. Bush, it was bush. It was food aid from the United States, and this was not said with, with any kind of uh, sarcasm or anything. Yeah, let me um, quite a lot, quite a lot, actually. I I, I quickly want to. <laughs> Well, on the on so on, just to to, to uh, get clear on where exactly you stand, you know, uh, you said, well, are you saying we should just accept that Ukraine is in Russia's sphere of influence? We're obligated to accept it or something. We just just to get clear on where you stand, the, the extreme version of the thought experiment is: suppose you knew, suppose you knew that, uh, just say accepting Ukraine into the EU, which sounds like a you know pretty innocent thing. Suppose for purposes of this thought experiment, you knew that that would make the chances 80 percent that Russia would launch an all out nuclear war, which, of course, isn't the case. I'm just trying to get a sense of where you stand philosophically. A nuclear nuclear war. Suppose. Yes. In that case, would you say, okay, I would certainly try to clamp that down. Absolutely. Okay, so there. So I thought you were going to say an 80 percent chance that this would prompt uh, Russia to invade Ukraine. If I knew that, if I could step into future-eyed magical powers. Yeah, I would say, well, let's figure out a way to slow this down. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no. You know, Mearsheimer, I don't want to keep this on Mir, but Mearsheimer said in his interview, he was asked about, you know, Ukrainians' desires. And he said, well, look, you know, hey, uh, that that's their problem. If you're, if you're, if you're a neighbor to a great power, you've got to, you've got to accept certain facts of life. So he, in fact, in answer to my question that, yeah, Ukraine has to subjugate itself just as people in, you know, Latin America have to subjugate themselves to, to U.S. hegemony. Which is which you agree is a fact, right? No, I, is a fact? Well, I don't think it's really going on. Well, let's now. do the thought Actually, experiment. The interesting thing that nobody might have predicted 20 years ago is that is all the number of, of, of leftist governments 
in Latin America that that the Biden administration is is trying to get along with just fine. Well, they're not national security states, but let's do the thought experiment. Suppose that Mexico said, "Okay, we're getting out of NAFTA. We're getting into a trade deal with China and said, by the way, they're going to be sending in weapons and some uh, military advisors. The weapons are defensive. Don't worry. Do you think for a second that we would not forcibly intervene uh, initially trying to do it the way Putin did it? This is no parallel at all with what was going on in Ukraine before February. What weapons were we sending into Ukraine? Even What kind of special trade agreements were we doing with Ukraine that would take them out of any relationships with Russia? We weren't doing anything like that. Fred, 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 please. Fred, please. In this yeah, thought you're offering, a, you're offering something pretending that it's a parallel with what we were doing in Ukraine, and we were doing nothing remotely like that. Fred, in my thought experiment, China sends them exactly the weapons we sent them, okay? And and the parallel to economic integration with China is economic integration with the EU, which which Putin sees rightly, I think, is just part of the West broadly. So that's the parallel. But let me, even if you don't like the thought experiment, do you think we would just stand idly by? Of course not. Well, okay. would, we, would we necessarily invade Mexico and bomb? We, we'd try to do it without that, just as Putin tried to use various underhanded, covert I can't, things. I can't for imagine it. it, not least because of all the people in the United States who come from Mexico. It's it's inconceivable, actually. And in so, fact, your thought experiment, if anything, even even ignoring for a moment its complete unanalogous situation with what's going on in Ukraine. Let's just stipulate that it is analogous. In fact, points up to the to the stark contrast between the United States and Russia as imperial powers or whatever you want to call them, because it's inconceivable that we would do anything to Mexico like Russia is doing. You think we wouldn't start out trying to change their regime in some way when some underhanded whatever it took? We would be more, we would be, we would be more effective at it. And no, I cannot imagine that the United States would start flinging thousands of missiles a day at Mexico City. Inconceivable. That's certainly not the way we'd start, no. No, I'm talking about what, this, what Russia's doing now isn't the way they started either. What they right. started with was a three-prong invasion of Ukraine with the idea of taking over the entire country. I just don't think I, I think you're underestimating the hysteria that would sweep America if Chinese weapons... Oh, it would not be a hysteria. It would be, it would be quite... Look, there would be. Look, we we know what we would do. I mean, look, uh, you know, you're talking about a Cuban missile crisis in Mexico, but the difference being that I I think that the whole thing is kind of insane because there, there's there's no reason for Mexico to do that. Mexico doesn't have any concern about. It's a thought experiment. US you just you US have US to accept the premises. It's a thought experiment. I'm telling you, okay, I accept the premises of your thought experiment for this purpose. And it is inconceivable that at any point in this conflict, the United States military would be doing to Mexico what the Russian military is doing uh, with Ukraine. Nor would an American president talk about the myth of Mexico, that it's always been a part of American territory, that its leaders are completely illegitimate. And that we're just taking over the whole. Well, place. that, that part, all you're doing, Bob, yeah. all you're doing, I'm afraid that you've played a little bit of jujitsu on yourself by by trying to to foist this comparison into the discussion. You're really 
completely undermining the no. premise. I mean, you're right that there are things that make it uh, less likely to lead to war. There isn't some big English speaking, uh, you know, part of the Mexican population and in, in a part that used to be, you know, Anglo dominating. So, so, so you're right. Uh, but that's kind of my point. But, but the, the thing I'd say uh, is, um, you know, if, if we, you know, it, if we started out with trying to like influence Mexican elections to get an anti-China regime, that didn't work. We tried our tried and true method of slightly more forceful, covert things, and that right. didn't work. And, 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 and China kept saying, sorry, we're going to keep sending weapons in and we're going to keep sending Chinese advisors in. I think, Fred, if you think that could not lead to war, well, I, what is the I, I just think of this whole scenario, the premise of the Ukraine is that Ukraine has for quite some time, ever since becoming independent, viewed, and quite properly so, Russia as a potentially aggressive neighbor. I mean, a neighbor with all kinds of other ties right. as well. But I mean, there there is no border, there's no secessionist war going on on the border of Mexico and Russia in which the United States has been arming uh, Mexico, you know, separatists and and sending right, special... right, and all of these, and, and all of these, right. and, and nor nor before February twenty fourth, what was the United States funneling in lots of weapons, the same way that you're hypothesizing China, but but, but funneling in weapons, it's it just Fred, all it, of all of the distinctions. Well, I, think, I think really that this is this is weakening your argument, not strengthening. Okay, it. let me reply. All of the distinctions you're pointing to about the historical relationship between America and Mexico, as opposed to the historical relationship between Ukraine and Russia, make the Russia-Ukrainian situation more predictively explosive. And my whole argument is that if we had understood how predictively explosive it was and how predictably more explosive our policies made it, we would have thought better of it. So I would say, so I would say, my point. I would say this. An equally plausible argument, and I'm not sure whether I agree with this, by the way, but I'm just putting it out there, is that if we had known how predictably explosive this was, we should have done a lot more in response to the annexation of Crimea and the incursion into eastern Ukraine. I, I think the jury's sending, out on whether that would have sending, helped. Started sending weapons then. I think that's that's we had, that's we had possible. No we had no military response. That's to, possible. Uh, not even sending javelins to to the initial incursion uh, into eastern Ukraine. It could be, and I, I'm I'm floating this. I don't know if this is true. I don't know if I believe this. I'm saying it is quite plausible, though. It, it's it's an arguable position that if the more hawkish wing of the Obama White House, which at the time included Vice President Biden, mm-hmm. had prevailed in the interagency discussions about how to respond to this. And if we had started sending uh, what Biden said, what Vice President Biden said at the time Mm -hmm. was we need for some Russian soldiers to go back in body bags so that so that Putin knows that he can't get away with this kind of shit. Okay, now, if we had done that, uh, I think one could maybe argue that Putin might have been more reluctant to do what he did now, in February. It could be that you're right. I would just say most of the, the, the big policy mistakes I'm talking about had already yeah. happened. We had already created a mess, but uh, or at least increased the chances of, of this happening, which it did. The uh, 
but I would say that the argument you're making is what people made four years ago when they said, you know, if we can start sending some weapons into Ukraine, do a little more NATO training, that'll be a deterrent. Well, they were obviously wrong. And it may it well be happen. that they it either ex- it did happen, Fred. Oh, we didn't send weapons into Ukraine. We didn't send weapons. The only weapons that were sent before February were some javelin missiles, which were kept in a lockbox in Western Ukraine. There were some advisors. There were some, you know, some intelligence assistants. Right. Logistics. Some trade. No, no weapons. But you agree that that an argument being made. You agree that an argument being made was that that would be a deterrent, right? No, the argument was we want to show them that we're behind them, but right, but, but we don't right. want to provoke Russia. That was the idea. We right. don't want to provoke Russia into doing. I'm it. just saying that turned out to be wrong. Russia got Russia invaded, and and, and yeah, but maybe, it wasn't because we were sending in all these weapons. It wasn't despite the fact that we were sending in all these weapons. We weren't sending in all these weapons. We weren't doing anything of the sort. Maybe we should have. Well, Putin saw maybe that we would have deterred them. Putin we saw the doing shit. We weren't doing anything. That would have deterred them from doing what they eventually did. It's not people. People use this word deterrence a lot like, oh, well, we didn't deter Russia from invading. Well, we had nothing on the boards that was designed to deter them from doing that. You know, they wanted to invade. I don't know. Now, people Arctic did stuff. justify this as, in terms of deterrence. They absolutely but, did. Fred. Yes, they did. But it didn't happen. They, they were advocating. I know it didn't. That's my point. They were, no, they were advocating things that we should do as a deterrent, but we ended up not doing them. Now, even what we did, they called a deterrent. Uh, obviously, yeah, if Ukraine has was, anti-tank weapons... But, but really, we're talking about a handful of anti-tank weapons that weren't even used in the battle for Donbass at the time. So it wasn't a meaningful... It was like, okay, it's a deterrent in the sense of we're showing Putin that Kiev has our back. But it wasn't a very convincing display okay. of that commitment. Well... And I really think everybody, everybody again, again I, I, I'm not I, I agreed with most of Obama's foreign policy, but there were some things where I thought he was what Obama did have, I think, in, and there are a couple of instances when this happened was kind of an allergy to anything that might produce escalation. And this was yeah, one of the I, and I think the jury's out on whether that was wise. Yeah. We don't we don't know. But um, that's right. Uh, that's right. But 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 there were other people. In fact, most of his, if not all of his advisors on this issue, thought that he should have done more after 2014 in response to 2014. And some of them believe now, including some who now work for for President Biden, that uh, it, it might have had more of a deterring effect had mm. had gone along with their with their recommendations. Again, impossible. Yeah, well, again, I think uh, you know by 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 the. By the post uh, Maidan revolution era, <laughs> we had made ninety eight percent of the mistakes I'm talking about. But, but um, let me quickly on this NATO thing. I think the the Kissinger peace plan which you wrote about, uh, you're interpreting it uh, differently than I am. You're you're saying he's saying Russia would have to withdraw to the February uh, borders, and. Uh, and that would be well, I just, my, my critique of Kissinger was was simply one of realism, mm-hmm. to, use, to use a phrase. He was acting like this. Is, he said, OK, here's what should happen. Putin should move back before borders and there should be a ceasefire. And my view was, what world are you living in? Putin is not interested in doing this. By the way, speaking of NATO, I don't think Kissinger wait, says that, on, but go ahead. He, he said this. He said, yeah. And, you know, Ukraine has now proved that, that it can be a member of NATO. It should be a member of NATO, and 
Putin should just accommodate to this. Right. Now, I think that's fucking insane, too. Those two things together are definitely insane. To accommodate (laughs) to this. So, I mean, I just thought it was it was it was an article written. Okay, but here my response to Kissinger was what this is really not that different from a peace proposal that I put out in March of 2022. But what world are you living in right now? Why do you think for a second that Putin or Zelensky is going to agree to the terms that you so in such reasonable Mm -hmm. terms lay out? It just doesn't make any sense there. It it called for a ceasefire and a return to uh, where, 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 where is this? Where is there the slightest bit of evidence that, uh, and you know, you might recall. I think you're wrong about what he's saying, Fred. Can I tell you what I think he's saying? Now, first of all, I acknowledge it's an extremely hard. It's a piece in the spectator. It's very hard to kind of figure out. In fact, the line you uh, used uh, in the uh, opening line of your Mearsheimer piece about declining mental acuity, if ever it applied, it applied to whoever <laughs> well, wrote this. I had a similar. I had a similar opening line in the. <laughs> I mean, geez. But I, I, I think if, if you is 99, you know, so yeah. he is 99 and and I ain't going to be writing to this. Did spectrum. he write this really? I mean, I don't know. Well, I think that's what I was. I was thinking, surely he has these young, bright guys. Yeah, and, but but if he does, he should hire better ones because it's a very yeah. it's a very it's very hard to figure out what he's proposing. But here's why I think what he really means is Russia gets to keep roughly the territory they have or the equivalent of that. And they accept. NATO membership for Ukraine, which I think is considerably less crazy and could be the way this war ends, honestly. But, um, but, but, but again, there's no, my, again, my problem with it was almost entirely practical, which is where, where are you seeing any appetite for this on either side of, of, of the equation right now? I mean, and then he, right. he started out with this whole parallel with World War One, where you know, how World War One started, you know, the interlocking uh, alliances, yeah. which, which led to a sleepwalk into war. What This has not been a sleepwalk. Russian, no Russians sleepwalked into Ukraine. This was a deliberate act. Anyway, it just made This no is sense. why he should have Listen, a, better, a smarter who, young person write who, his... Someone who, who is a severe critic of Kissinger uh, as, a, as a, an official and a... Uh, an admirer of his work as an historian, uh, this this piece just made no sense to me whatsoever. Okay, but to, but the reason I think he is, you know, he, that his plan is, what I said is that he does go through. First, he does say what the thing you focus on. This is why last May I recommended establishing a ceasefire line along the borders existing where the war started on twenty fourth February. Russia would disgorge its conquests fence. Could you make this less clear? Russia would disgorge its conquest fence, but, but not, not the territory to occupy. Okay, but then the next paragraph is this. Uh, if the pre-war dividing line between Ukraine and Russia cannot be achieved by combat or by negotiation, in other words, what he just said may not be practical, recourse to the principle of self-determination could be explored. Internationally supervised referendums Concerning self-determination could be applied with, with to Russian divisive are, territories. Okay. With, with Russian troops occupying the land where the referendums are to take place? I'm not defending it. I'm just saying that I think that's what he actually has in mind. No, that's that's what I thought I said in my summation of it. But in any case, it, it's just like, okay, 
you know, if I had a, an antimatter machine, I could go to the to the moon right now. It's 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 okay. Sounds good, but where where how does this correspond at all to what's going on in the real world? The reason I think it's it's not a crazy eventual outcome. Oh, eventual outcome, quite possibly, quite possibly. He's well, talking about doing it now before things get out of hand. That's yeah. His, no, I mean, I mean, thing was, I mean, let's do this before World War Three starts. Yeah. No, two things would have to happen. A, uh, if it were to happen in the re- relatively near term. Um, the U.S. would have to apply pressure to the Ukraine and say, look, the weapons just can't keep flowing at this rate. Here's what we want. B, Russia, and, and this is just a black box. I don't know what they're thinking. Russia, you know, Putin would have to think, you know, my political situation here is getting a little more precarious than I'd like. Realistically, this war is at best a long, hard slog. Why would I can go back to the Russian people. Russia. What's that? Why would Putin do this if the U.S. were meanwhile putting pressure on Ukraine to stop fighting? That would be, in fact, his pretext for a second wind of, of, of continuing. No, no, but 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 the pressure, you know, the logic would be, as it tends to be in these things, is that if Russia will agree to this and you don't accept it, we're not going to keep sending you weapons. So, you know, the game theory works. Even that, by saying this, you're giving Putin more reason for hope that, that he can hold out. Well, you don't say it publicly, first of all. We wouldn't say it publicly what we said to Ukraine privately. Well, I mean, again, why? I just don't see where this goes. I mean, I what, what what's the point then? What what is the point? What, how can how can you put pressure on someone privately? Uh, the pressure only works if it's sort of seen by everybody. What's no, there on? are different kinds of pressure. This would work privately. I but, mean, it could add credibility if you made it publicly. But but uh, I think I think you could convince them that you, this was for real. Anyway, that that's that's what I think he's saying, and and I think. It's just nonsense. It's just, uh, it's, again, it's the not idea, again, the idea of something like this happen eventually, yeah, it's probably how it will have to happen. But in terms of... Okay, right- that's important because not many people are saying Ukraine's going to wind up as a member of NATO right now. But I think if you look at the logic of how this war could finally end, that that's probably is going to happen. Deal and Russia signs on to that, I have no problem with that whatsoever. I doubt they'll sign on to that. They might sign on to Ukraine has a right to, you know, uh, choose its alliances. I doubt they're going to sign a document that has the NATO. That's what Zelensky has now said. I, I don't have to be a member of NATO, but I want some security assurances from somebody, you know, whether it's a U.S.-U.K. thing or Christ knows mm-hmm. what. Uh, anyway, that's uh, one I, thing I, that we've learned. One thing that we've learned from what's been going on, quite aside from all the other lessons, and it does help explain some of the impulse for NATO enlargement back in the '90s, was that, um, and this feeds into some of what Mearsheimer says as well, is that countries that are caught in between great powers like to have protection from those great powers. And that, yeah, sometimes the protection that one side provides can be seen as something threatening by the other side. But at some point, one has to unpack what's going on and take a very serious, sober look at what's really happening. And, uh, you know, I, I don't see how one draws any semblance of moral, political, or geostrategic equivalence between Russia's invasion of Ukraine, such in the way that it's been handled on the one hand, and 
U.S. activities in NATO and Central and Eastern European Europe for the last 25 years on the other. I don't see an equivalent. I wouldn't try to do that. All I'm saying is, is uh, that's what you were trying to do. But anyway, wait, wait, I was trying to I was trying to do what? I'm well, not trying you're to right. no, 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 Okay, you're right. You weren't drawing an equivalence, but you were saying that the one was partially causally responsible for the other. Oh, I think, I think, yeah, very easy. It's easy to imagine an American uh, foreign policy uh, that that leads to a very different world. I just think, I think it's almost a trivial exercise. Now, in the real world, it's hard to uh, imagine because American presidents are subject to political, uh, you know, pressures and we change presidents very often. And so it's, it, it, it may be hard to imagine the kind of continuity that uh, that in my thought, you know, in, in my view, could have uh, avoided all this. And in any event, our failure to do it does not absolve Russia of the responsibility for being the ones who invaded. Ah, so, OK, but, good. Point of agreement. Fred, I said that at the very beginning. That's my point. But but. A huge impediment to talking clearly about how bad I think America's foreign policy is and and, and bad things it's led to is the tendency of people to conflate assigning like causal responsibility, some degree of causal responsibility with assigning, uh, you know, full moral or legal responsibility. Well, see, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you can talk about other people. I mean, I've, I've drawn I've drawn these distinctions myself quite clearly. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, mean, I would just say go go back and read my New York Review of Books piece about Mary Sirota's book from last March. No, I think you do. Yeah. I think you sometimes use language about the Mearsheimers about of the world and maybe about the Mies of the world, where you casually use terms like justify and so on. Oh, I've never attacked. Uh, I've never attacked you. And Fred. You're not talking shit about me behind my back, Fred. I wouldn't be behind your back. God bless you. Uh, nor have I really, <laughs> and maybe I should someday. But I haven't should talk shit really written anything about the the restraint school of of foreign policy either, for for which I have uh, some sympathy and and some discordance. But uh, it's an uh, interesting. You should. It's it's just an interesting. Topic and I haven't totally clarified my view. It, it's related to my having a very clear definition of what the blob is because I'm thinking of restrainers yeah. as like non-blob. And I and what I just said, I hope I said at some point in this conversation, it, it speaks to that. But it's not the end of what I'd say about what distinguishes blob from non-blob. But but uh, anyway, do you consider yourself part of the blob? I hope not. Nobody, Fred, I ever wanted to hire you. <laughs> but nobody has ever wanted to hire me for a position in the blobosphere. I have bad news for you, Fred. Yeah, I'm a member of the blob. If you don't, in, if you don't agree with me on everything, I'm in the blob. I don't even live in Washington. How, if how you don't this? agree with me on everything, hey, the Council on Foreign Relations is in New York, where you do I'm live. Not a Come member. on, I was a federal. You're, you're a blob citizen. No, oh. I've, I've never been a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. Oh, Fred's past uh, comes back to this. I've is been, no, I've never been. A, I was. Are uh, you now? Was, or have you ever Edward been? Murrow, I was an Edward R. Murrow fellow at the council for, for nine months. Uh, mm-hmm. It was an enjoyable experience. But I've not, even then, I was not a member. And but by the way, the, quite, the but, Council on Foreign Relations is quite a heterodox outfit right now. It, it's not uh, anything like the, the uh, elite the elite stomping grounds that was the case uh, in Kennan's times or anybody else's for that matter. That's exactly what I would expect to see if our fellow traveler is safe, Fred. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so now, anyway, we, we now have the answer to the question of, are you now or have you ever been? 
a fellow traveler of the CFRN. And uh, I, I, frankly, I, was, I was a fellow traveler in the sense that I were a fellow. You were literally a fellow and you were traveling. Literally a fellow and I traveled a little bit too. Uh-huh. So quite literally. Yeah. So case closed. I rest my case. All right. I, 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 I accept defeat on that ground. You plead guilty. Excellent. Another another satisfying podcast draws to its conclusion. Yep. Ooh, this was a long one, Fred. You got long me worked one. up. Now, man. listen, I insist that you not edit a single word of this. I want everything to be out there. All of my words will be. Don't How worry. about my words? Ah, we'll see. No, we never edit. We never edit unless... Uh, unless... <laughs> Uh, I can't say who this was, a prominent journalist years and years ago uh, in a conversation on my platform with Glenn Greenwald referred to the owner of his uh, periodical. Of Greenwald's being, periodical? Or his own? No, no. The person I'm not naming yeah. referred to the owner of his periodical as dead. He thought he was dead. It turned out he wasn't. And so That's he, found out, he asked us to cut that part out. And, and with Glenn's <laughs> permission, we did. <laughs> that is a little embarrassing. It just yeah. shows that it sounds to me like a bit of publisher absenteeism, though. If, if, if your publisher is so absent from the proceedings of the publication that you don't even know that he's alive, that, that kind of says something about. Uh, no, he, he I would say he deserved uh, he deserved yeah. a fate, uh, not not a fate worse than death or a fate or the fate of death. But had it coming. So thank you, Fred. Up, so to speak. Thank you for well, thank you. This has been Jesus, this has been going on for almost I know, I know, I know. I'm sure there are some people still listening. There might still be. And uh, uh I hope we've shown them that uh people can civilly disagree and still be friends at the end. We're 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 important America needs role models and heroes, Fred. Here, here we are. We we present the two of us as um, heroes and role models. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So let's okay. do this again well, sometime. This has been fun. I'll keep reading your stuff in slate. Everybody should. Thank you. Thank you. As as you should as, send pieces you write on on this topic. Okay, I will. And I, I yeah. Well, they're in my non-zero newsletter. Yeah, uh, and you know, and I did it, read your Washington Post piece that we discussed briefly. Yeah, yeah. And your your view of me changed accordingly, which I accept. We discussed, we discussed it. So, okay. We're, All we're, right. We're not at this point. No sense of reviving the argument. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Well, we could. We could hold out for the two-hour mark. No, let's not. Let's let's end this now. Okay. Well, thanks, Fred. Very let's good. Again. Thanks a lot.